There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Testing, testing, one, two, three, four. Testing, testing, one, two, three, four. President and CEO, Reverend and Monsignor, parish priest and pastor to the poor. But those who know him well, just call him Father John. At 75, he's the quintessential yes man. And this spring, Father John Ensler is saying yes to retirement and stepping down as head of one of our region's largest nonprofits, Catholic Charities of the Greater Washington Area. Father John, thanks so much for making the time, and welcome to the DMV Download Podcast. Luke, great to see you. I should say, basically, Luke was one of my students. At, yes. That's a sacrament, yes. so it's fun to see you again, and here you are doing this podcast. It's, it's, I love you to see you doing this. It's great. No, it's fantastic. I was just going to say, growing up, I went to Blessed Sacrament. You were the parish priest there, and I remember after the summer, you'd hold these ice cream socials. That, that memory is locked in. Before we get to talking about, you know, this retirement upcoming this spring, right. I want to kind of jump in a time machine and go back to, you know, when you grew up and your connection here to this area. So you've been here for a while, right? Yeah, I grew up in Bethesda. Uh, I'm one of a very big family. I have 12 siblings, eight sisters and four brothers. We had a very active but very happy family. You know, at that point growing up, we, it was all family oriented. There were a lot of families around, and frankly, a lot of big families. Uh, and so you had a lot of kids to play with. There was a club not too far away called Edgemore Club. Uh, we used to go there. There's swimming, tennis, having fun all throughout my grade school years and high school years as well. It was a special way to grow up with a great community around me. And did this area look different than it does now? Well, think about Bethesda. If you know Bethesda, it was, a, it was mostly houses. Right. And now what you see in Bethesda, the town of Bethesda, it's all that's grown up. I delivered papers in that area to houses that would be all apartment buildings now. Wow. And it would be all kinds of, um, you know, businesses now. So it's, it's, that's changed. I still love it, but it's changed. It's right, different. right. 12, 12 or 11 siblings, including you. 12 siblings. Wow. And oh, they, 12 and, siblings. So and, it's 13. And they're, and they're, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. That's incredible. <laughs> so how did you kind of get to the position of becoming a priest? What led you there? And uh, tell me about that journey a little okay. bit. Okay. Well, one of the neat things, my, my first, my family is very faithful. Um, we're not if you will, walk around like holy, holy rollers. Right. But we just, it's just a kind of a, my mom and dad had this great commitment to do God's work. Mm. And they were involved in God's work. And so that was important. But also my dad's brother was a priest. My mom had two, another cousin was a priest. So there are three or four cousins hanging around who were older than me by 15, 20 years, mm. some older, who I'd see. By the way, I'd say many young people, this is back in the 50s now. Right. When they, they, when they went to school, Catholic school, I think probably half of us thought we'd be priests someday. It was like, you know, maybe for one day they thought that, but still, it <laughs> came across our minds. But mine didn't really leave. Mm. It just didn't really leave. It just kind of kept with me. And I didn't, I mean, I, I, frankly, in high school, I, I didn't like talking about it because I was kind of a nerdy thing to do. But anyway, I mean, it's like... You know, <laughs> like it wasn't cool. It, it was not cool at all. So, so you know, kind of, your, your classmates, so... But it, it just wouldn't go away. Mm. And, and it wasn't until college that I got more and more... Think about, you know, this won't go away. I'm attracted to it. Mm. And I think I should go find out. And I went, talked to some other priests about it, went to the seminary. Now, some priests 
would say, they say, I'm going to go to become a priest. Right. I never said that. Hmm. So I said, I'm going to go to find out whether this is my vocation. Interesting. Because I was not absolutely sure, but I felt drawn. I said, you've got to take this next step. Hmm. If you're going to move on and get married someday or you have children, you better figure this out first to make sure that's not your vocation. And wow. I, found, I found out, I think, in seminary. I belonged really in this gift of vocation, serving, helping others. Mm. And so once you became a priest, priests often travel around the world or go many different places. Where did you go or did you mostly stay here in the D.C. region? Okay, it was different types of religious communities. So I'm a diocesan priest, which means I belong to the Diocese of Washington or I could be Baltimore, it could be Arlington. So pretty much we're local. We're local, so we stay in our own community. So our diocese is Washington, D.C. and five counties, Montgomery, Prince George's, Calvary, Charles, St. Mary's. Pretty much that's where I'm going to be. Right. Unless something happens and you move. Now, a good friend of mine was moved to become a bishop in Springfield, Massachusetts. So you can be moved, but it's not the norm. Mm. So the Marino priest, my cousin's a Marino priest, they go to the missions. And he kept encouraging me to become a missionary. I don't think that was my call. Mm. My call was to hang around and work with the people I knew and loved and maybe see if I could make a difference here as a priest in this area. So I've been local all these, all these years, except mm. for some schooling all local and, and love this area, I right. love this area. What kind of sticks with you about this area? How would you describe it? Well, first of all, um, people are good. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced of that. We make mistakes. We do sometimes things that aren't so appropriate, but we're good and God made us good. And because of that, I just love people. And I love, and sometimes they help people work through a struggle they're having almost anything, drug use or alcohol use, sometimes a unexpected pregnancy. I mean. But really, it's it's not. Those are kind of almost not the real thing. They're a real thing. But what really my life is about living and sharing and acting the way I think God wants me to act and help others to come to the same place. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I think D.C. Uh, steeped in politics, a lot of people often think of you know that quote unquote swamp idea. But you see goodness in yeah, in the people here. I really do, I really do. But you just mentioned something, Luke. I think about when I when I was. Um, in and in, in finished high school, I was asked to go and work on the hill by Senator Eugene McCarthy. Mm. And I was down on the hill, basically, and I was I loved it. I loved it. I was working with the Senate reception room, which was a great opportunity, like a page. It was to all be a page. Was just past eighteen, but I loved it. At the end of that summer, uh, Senator's administrative assistant called me and said, "John, um, I was supposed to go to Iowa for college, Loris, because my dad's college." And he says, uh, you've been accepted to Georgetown. I didn't apply to Georgetown. You, well, you will go to Georgetown and you'll, you'll pay your tuition by working for us for the next four years. And, um, and I, you know, this came, it's like, like mid-August this came. You know, I was right. supposed to leave in two weeks. And I don't really know why I said no to them. It's clearly George University, sure. Loris College. Right. Full tuition earned and paid or, you know, with 13 of us. And get to stay to, home. Get to stay home. Uh, and um, I said no. Wow. And I've thought about that a lot. And I think what drew me to say no was I just felt I was already committed to Loris. I look back now and I think, you know, I would have been in Bill Clinton's class. I'd have been wow. involved. I'd been in Eugene McCarthy's, you know, extended staff. He decided to run for run for, for, for president. Um, I would have been basically, I'm sure, kind of an advanced man for him. Right. Because I've been the staff. You know, I think my life would go in a different direction. Mm, maybe political almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't think a politician, but working right. in the politics. And you think, that was God. Because I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. At the I, moment, that it, moment when he offered you. It doesn't make sense to right. say no. I just said, and my father was very supportive. So that was a, um, 
that that's so I, I and since then I've never had a different opinion of politicians or you know we, you know it's a tough job politicians yeah it's a tough job trying to work and you know some degree a pastor's like a politician mm. a pastor's you know in, in a in a place where you got almost like the mayor I'd say if you're a pastor you're you're you're, you're kind of the center of everything happens in, in a particular geography called a Catholic parish right and it's fun. Uh, but you are the mayor. Mm. I mean, basically, people expect certain things, and they and is, in the church today, there's conservative and there's progressive and there's right. there's liberal and there's radical, you know. And and so, how do we get to the place we're called to be together? That's a community. We work towards that. Right. And did you find your proximity to politics for that brief amount of time in the Senate helpful as you were a parish? priest here in D.C. and then, you know, became the CEO and president of Catholic Charities, which, you know, the headquarters is just a stone's throw away from Capitol Hill, the White House. Did you find that helpful or, or is that just kind of a coincidence? No, it is helpful. So I spent two more summers there as well after that. I still worked in the summertime. They weren't big jobs. I worked in the elevator operator one summer and, right. I, and I worked down in the post office, but they were, again, you were in the, the loop of that. I found it to be very exciting. Mm. I found it to, be, to feel like you're a little small piece of, of making a difference for others. Right in politics, so I, I have no fear of the hill. I have no fear of politics. I have no fear. I mean, because they're real people, mm. and so because of that, I, I think that that's been a, a gift. But even more as a gift is that I've come to know people in this area in such a way, and they know me in such a way that we can make progress together on lots of things because we we just have friendships and we have long-standing relationships. And because I've got twelve siblings. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody, anybody but Thes knows the Enslers, I mean, gr- growing up, I mean, you know, <laughs> that's just math. That's right. Thirteen of us, basically. You know, well, I went to school with your sister. I went to school with your brother. And I, 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 I work with your your, your 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 dad, whatever. It's just, it's a family, big mm. family, and I love that part of it. Mm. So moving, you know, to 2011, when you really took the helm at Catholic Charities, was that a surprise to you? And why did you take the gig? Well, it's an interesting story because I was your pastor, Blessed Sacrament. Right. Loving, loving life there. I remember saying to the Cardinals, it was Cardinal World back then, you know, Emmons, I think I'd like to get off some of these committees I'm on. And in, it was like I was 65 years old and spend the next number of years just really focused on the parish. Mm. And from my perspective, I've been there like six years. I felt like the parish was getting stronger and stronger, and you could feel energy. And it was just—it was just kind of a, it, you know, which one is in a, in a place. I remember that. A lot, lot of happiness. The field of uh, dreams. Yeah, exactly. The field of dreams came up. We, we built this field for the kids, and that was not easy because we had to buy a house and sell to the house. I remember down. that. Yeah. Crazy, but good. Good thing to do. But the point is, that I found that to be great. But I, somebody said, "Why don't you think about Catholic Charities?" I said, ah, "I'm a pastor." Mm. And then somebody else said, "You know." Just think about it. And then somebody called me and said, why don't you go talk to the Cardinal about it? He wants to talk to you. He said, what are you going to tell him? I said, I don't know. I'm going to probably tell him I'm a happy pastor. Right. But I got in the room with the Cardinal, Cardinal Whirl. No pressure at all. Just, I think, John, you should think about this. It's, I think you've got skills for this. You've got maybe some talents that you might be the one that we need to do this. And mm-hmm. um, I said, okay. I mean, 15 minutes. Okay. I just said Yes. Coming in, no, 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 sure. <laughs> and, and that's kind of one of my models. You say yes. Yeah. You say yes, baby. Yeah. So it's been a spectacular uh, experience for me for 11 years. It's the best job I've ever had. I'm mm. not, I love parish life. I love it. I'm a pastor. You know, I'm, I really, it's, I'm a, I'm a, somebody said to me, you're now a pastor for the poor. Right. I love that. Yeah. In other words, you're not a geographical pastorate, like a church. You now have a big, big demographic to take care of as poor people. Right. And I love doing that. Yeah. Well, I was going to, you know, mention Blessed Sacrament, you know, that, that Chevy Chase communities, 
you know, kind of a wealthier community, right. moving right. from that bracket, if you will, to being a pastor for the poor. What really stood out to you about that? Well, what's really stood out to me, and to them too, is that I'm not afraid to ask others who've been more successful, would they be willing to help those who right. are in need? Mm. And I have found an abundance, I mean, a huge abundance of love and care for the others. And I think, again, it goes to my my relationship with them over the years. Mm. So I'm a pretty good, in a good sense, I'm a yes man. I say yes almost always to people. You want a wedding, a funeral, a baptism, a struggle, I'm going to try to say yes to you. Mm. And that has opened up a lot of doors. And people say this publicly to me. I can't say no to you because you never said no to me. Mm. I really literally, when you ask for help, if I can do it, I'm going to say yes. Because you never said no. And that's, that's, I think, part of the success I've had is that we just want to help people. And I say, do you want to join me? Yeah. And people say, yeah. Wow. I mean, millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Yes. No, and I should say, we should, you know, <laughs> hit some numbers here. Yeah, yeah. Catholic Charities sends millions and millions of meals for people in need. Um, you have clinics, dental clinics, medical clinics. Um, you provide care for mental health issues. Right. You provide shelter for victims of domestic violence. I mean, the list goes on and on. And a lot of that under your supervision and leadership. Um, how much has Catholic Charities transformed, you know, under your leadership? Well, I, I, just budget-wise, numbers-wise, I came in, the budget was about $60 million, now about $100 million. Wow. Budget in, in 11 years. Some of that, is, some of that now is, is uh, you know, basically pro bono efforts included now, too, according to the accounts. But basically, it's, it's a lot more cash as well. Numbers have gone up. We now, last year, we served about 170,000 people. Hmm. Um, during COVID, we served uh, closer to 260,000 people. Wow. Meals, as you mentioned, meals, 5 million meals a year during COVID, now about, maybe about 3 million meals a year. Um, you know, we have uh, 1,700 beds every night. We take care of people sleeping in beds and shelters. Uh, we have dental clinic, medical clinic. We have a big effort for behavioral health. That's a big issue right now for the mm. world for the world, and for our, our country because a lot of these things happening out there are happening because people are mentally struggling. Mm. And there's kids and there's adults, and it's just it's a sad thing. Um, so all that, and then you have 57 different programs, you know, 34 different sites, all that handled and managed by not me but by a spectacular staff over 800 people work with wow. us on staff to do the work they're called to do i, I kind of set the tone I, I kind of hopefully set the vision i do some of that but really the real heart of it is mm. our staff what they do every day mm. i think sometimes there's a sense of hopelessness i know that was felt widely during the pandemic right. oh man we're alone oh man yeah. it's so uncertain the future is so uncertain how did you all deal with that at Catholic Charities and then kind of meet the moment? You know, you, you said you fed five million meals during the pandemic. Right. Um, how do you do that? Well, part of our mission statement is, is that the shorter vision is we give help that empowers and hope that lasts. And I saw our staff, they certainly were struggling, but say, it's not about me. It's about that homeless person. It's about that person who... Uh, is so sick. It's about the people we, de- we we buried basically during COVID and difficult thing of hospital visits. So so they they, they sh- again exemplified for me what it is to have to give hope mm. by what we do and care for them. But um, I, I I you know I'm about to retire from as CEO and president of the Charities. But I learned in the first three months of COVID, I'm not ready for retirement because I was frankly just out of place. I was a fish out of water. You know, I couldn't do masses. Right. First three months. I couldn't do weddings. I had weddings had a schedule, had to reschedule. Funerals, we didn't get many, even funerals we couldn't do for a while. Wow. Well, if you did a funeral, it could be six people come to it, or eight people. Just, yeah. 
Um, baptism stopped completely. And so here I am sitting in, in, the, in the rectory, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot, <laughs> lot, 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 lot of contact, but not able to be present. Right. And I said to myself, this retirement, I want no part of that. And I'm, so I'm going to be still very, very busy, but I mm. won't be the CEO and president. Right. That's, that's the difference. So what work is really left to be done? Well, you know, Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. One of his quotes. Mm. We can be spectacularly good at this, but the world is going to tell us there's still people in need. Mm. So it's, a, it's an ongoing, everlasting effort. I think the key thing for me, Luke, is I don't want to just do what I call, uh, oh, I'll use this way. I don't want to do just Band-Aids. I want to do surgery. Mm. And so Band-Aids are like serving meals, and that's good. 2.9 meals last year, 5 million during COVID. Though that's not that's not changing people's lives. Mm. It's not helping them move forward. So I would say I want to give work that basically meets people in their poverty or vulnerability and brings them to sustainability. That's surgery. That requires caseworkers and social workers, and we have a lot of them, hundreds or so more than that. And working with people to help them go from here where they are stuck to a place where they're free. That could be getting them a job, find a place to live, uh, helping their do with their family issues. It could be helping them get off of alcohol and drugs. It could be working with basically, I mean, the fentanyl problems, it's a huge problem. It's a yeah. huge problem. And we deal with that. We have people in our shelters. I have kids I've buried from fentanyl mm-hmm. and the young people. It's uh, So that's not going to go away. We got to be the strong force that helps people deal with these issues and be a support to them, help parents and help, help families know that they got a supportive arm ready to help them. And by the way, very important, Catholic Charities helps everyone. If you come to us, we don't ask you what religion you are, where you go to church, what you're back. We ask you one question. What is it? How can we help you? Right. That's the question. Mm. So people should know that. That basically, you need, you need some help. You come to Catholic Charities, we'll do our best. Right. You say yes. Right. Do our best. We've got a short break. Keep it here. We'll be right back. So I think a lot of people, you know, are focused on the work, their own families, and sometimes aren't necessarily aware of the poor, really, to be kind of yeah. blunt about it. You are someone who has a pulse on the poor in this area. Can you talk a little bit about just the poor in this area? What do they? What are their needs, and how can a listener who might be inspired or might be thinking, how can I help, how, how could they help? I just sit down and talk to people. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I could serve people too. I've done that many times, but I just sit down at a table with six or seven people. And, How you doing? Where are you living? What's going on with you? I mean, and the stories are, you know, phenomenal. And, and you know, I, I, this one, I think one story guy. I said, "Where are you living?" He says, "I live in, a, I live in a, a, basically in, in a storage unit." I said, "What?" He says, "I actually live in a storage unit." He said, "It's cheap, it's warm, and it's comfortable." I've rented a storage unit, hundred dollars, hundred dollars a month. I rent that basically. I sneak in at night. After everybody's gone, get in my place. It's like a locker. Get down. It's not very huge. And basically, I sleep comfortably and get up before everybody comes back. And I've been doing that for a couple of years. Oh, wow. That's a story you hear you would never hear otherwise. Mm. Another guy says to me, kind of funny, he says to me, I said, how are you doing? He said, well, what, what are you doing for money? He said, well, what I do is I go to Georgetown. And I, I basically just hang around the bars. Not drinking. I watch people come out of the bars. This is a sad thing, too. They've had too much to drink, many of them. When they get their Uber... They drop money. They drop money. He says, he says, like consistently. Yeah, he says, I've had like nice women at $300 a night. You know, just just hanging around. There's bars and people walk out and they're, 
kind of a little drowsy and not Ball <laughs> falls out. And it falls out. They drop it somehow. And they can't. And they just, you know, they had too much to drink, whatever. And that's these are stories you would never hear. Wow. And they're but they're real stories. These are if people tell me the real story, what's going on? Mm. So that's part of it. So we, I think the key thing is I, a couple of things. Number one, treat people not as inanimate objects, but as people. Mm. So I walk by lots of people, and we all do. And basically, we can just ignore them, or we can just smile at them. One wonderful fellow down by the Metro Center has a sign that says, just smile at me. He probably gets some money because of that, but just <laughs> smile at me. Meaning, basically, just treat me like a human being. Mm. Don't treat me like an inanimate object. Don't treat me like one of the stones and bricks against the wall here. Mm. That, for all of us out there, it's not money, and it's not, it's, not, it's just, it's being nice. Now, again, it's not always easy to do that either, but I think it's a really good thing to say, just, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that some people are struggling. We help them out. We always can use money, obviously. But I'm, just today, think about just how you can be just a, a person who's open to the fact that a human being who maybe grew up just like you has had struggles and painful things, has all kinds of difficult situations, and, and he or she needs help. We can say, I'm going to try to do something just with a smile, maybe with a dollar bill, whatever, or I can walk right on by. I mm. think that you'll feel much better if you can find a way to say, here, this will help you. Mm. Another trick I use a lot is I, 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 get, my, I, I get McDonald's cards. Mm. I usually have McDonald's cards in my, in my pocket as well as in my car, and I rarely go by someone who, ha- who asks for money without giving them a McDonald's card. It's five bucks. Right. It's five bucks. And you know, it's not going to be for drinking. It could be. They can sell them, of course. But it's going to be basically you give them food. And, you know, and there's a lot of and why McDonald's just a lot of them around. That's all. It's, it works. There's yeah. so many. And you get a lot of food for it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and even though it's getting tougher now with inflation, I tell <laughs> you, true. it's not the same. But anyway, but it's still good. Yeah. And they get food. So that's just a simple thing to do. Mm. Doesn't take much effort. And you drive it along the street and you see by with nothing food. And next thing you know, basically they're um, they're fed. And so you know, you mentioned earlier. Catholic Charities helps everyone. doesn't matter what religion they are from. They might be atheists. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. They just, if they need help, you all are there. I think it's fair to say when, you know, people think of the Catholic Church, a shining star on top of the mountain is, you know, their service to the poor. I yeah. think that's undeniable, um, no matter where you're kind of coming from. But there are a lot of other issues people have with, you know, the Catholic Church. Recently, you know, sexual abuse scandals with children, um, really tough issues, uh, social issues around sexuality and all of that. As you've been a priest for, you know, decades now, how have you navigated all that other stuff that's kind of been happening as you're focused on, you know, serving the poor? I've been a priest 50 years. A priest is coming May, so it's a long journey. I've seen lots of stuff I prefer not to have seen. It is a tragic, sad, despicable crime to, t- to hurt children anyway. So basically, it's out there, though. It's not a huge number. It really isn't. It's uh, a few bad apples, but every business or co- every, every family has a little bit of that. Well, we got our family has some, too. Uh, we've done a much better job, much better job in the last three, really three decades, four decades, taking care of the situation. But having said that, basically, it's hard because, you know, I, I know priests who tell me they don't have to wear a collar anymore because they're, they feel like they're being um, looked upon as being an abuser. Mm. And that's, so it's not easy. But the other side of it is, is that we are, as you said earlier, Luke, the church should be so proud of what they do for other people. I mean, I would say the church, I think all churches, what we've done for the poor and those in need over the centuries uh, is just, it's phenomenal. Ever since Jesus, we've done, we've, and we, before that, the Old Testament, right. the Jewish faith, it's just, 
it's a great gift of service to other people. And so that's what our legacy. Our legacy is not the fact we've got a few bad apples. Our legacy is you ask, we try to help you. And that's the legacy I live by and, and practice and, and love. And as we close up here, you know, there's an aspect of the Catholic faith that is spirituality, but spirituality, you know, can be felt across mm-hmm. the spectrum of, you know, religiosity. How has spirituality played a role in, in your life and in what you do? Well, obviously, you know, I couldn't do this if I wasn't close to Jesus. But I'm a little different than some. Some guys are better prayers than me, for sure. They just are better. I mean, they, they, they take time and they spend time. I'm, I'm not as good as I want to be at that. I mean, I, you know, I want to be better at prayer. But I'm, I do pray, but I don't. But I, I think my prayer is service. Mm. And as long as I make sure that I do it in his name, not my name, his name, at the end of the day, thank him for the chance to do that. I think I've kept in the, in the, in the role I'm supposed to be. But, but reality is, my spirituality is saying yes. My spirituality is, you know, doing what Jesus has been to do. It's reflect upon the scripture and try to preach it and live it. And then basically, I think my, I think my, someone said to me one day, Father John, your homily is where you live, not what you say. That would be spirituality. Mm. You know, your homily is really just the way you live your life. Your homilies are fine, but your real homily is just you're giving, sharing, and loving other people. Father John approaching his retirement as CEO and president for Catholic Charities, but his work is not done. As you said, thank you for coming on the show and really talking about all that you've done over the past 50 years. Well, Luke, it's great to see you. Great to see you doing so well with the podcast. And I uh, know your family for a long time and I love your family. So uh, nice to be part of your family today. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. Thanks for listening to this podcast and a big thanks to WTOP for really sponsoring this show. You can listen to live news radio 24-7 at 103.5 FM in D.C., 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and of course on the WTOP News app. Also, if you've got time this week, give this show some stars. We'd love to hear what you think about this show. Let us know. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Have a great week.